Chapter Sixteen of The Hound from the North by Ridgewell Cullum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lisa Reichert. Chapter Sixteen An Echo from the Alaskan Mountains. Alice searched all over the farm for her friend. The last place in which she thought of looking was the little bedroom the two girls shared. Here at length she arrived, and a shock awaited her. Prudence was sitting beside the window. She was gazing out at the bare, harvested fields, nor did she turn at her friend's approach. It was not until Alice spoke that she looked around. "'Here you are, Prue. Why, whatever's the matter?' she exclaimed, as she noted the grey pallor of the face before her, the drawn lines about the mouth, the fiercely burning eyes. "'You poor soul! You are ill! And you never told me a word about it! I've been looking everywhere for you. It's tea-time.' "'What is it, dear?' "'Do I look ill?' Prudence asked wearily. She passed her hand across her forehead. She was almost dazed. Then she went on as she turned again to the window. "'I'm all right. My head is aching, that's all. I don't think I want any tea.' The next moment she was all alertness. "'Has Hervey returned from the fields?' "'Hervey? Yes, why? He's returned and gone away again, gone into Winnipeg.' He nearly frightened poor Mother Hepsy out of her wits, came in all of a sudden and declared he must hurry off to Winnipeg at once, and he wanted Andy to drive him. You know his way. He wouldn't give any explanation. He was like a bear to his mother. My fingers were just itching to slap his face. But come along, dear. You must have some tea. It'll do your head good. While she was speaking, Alice's eyes never left her friend's face. There was something about Prudence's expression she didn't like. Her mind at once reverted to thoughts of fever and sunstroke and such things, but she said nothing that might cause alarm. She merely persisted when the other shook her head. Eventually her persuasions prevailed. Mother Hepsy's fretting away downstairs, and Sarah is backing her up. The long-suffering Mary has been catching it in consequence. So come along and be your most cheerful self, Prue. The poor old dears must be humoured and Alice, with gentle insistence, led her companion down to the parlour. "'And where, miss, have you been all this precious time?' asked Mrs. Malling when the two girls reached the parlour. "'Sleeping, I'll be bound, to judge by them spectacles around your eyes. There's no get-up about young folks nowadays,' she went on, turning to Sarah. Six hours sleep for healthy-minded women,' I says, "'not an hour more, nor an hour less.' "'Sister Emma was allus one of them for her siesta.' Then she turned back to Prudence. "'Maybe she learned you, my girl.' "'I haven't been sleeping, mother,' Prudence protested, taking her place at the table. "'I don't feel very well.' "'Oh, you don't say so,' exclaimed the old lady, all anxiety at once. "'And why didn't you tell me before? Now maybe you got a touch of the sun?' "'Have you been feeling faint and giddy?' asked Sarah, fixing her quiet eyes upon the girl's face. "'No, I don't think so. I've got a headache, nothing more.' "'Ah, cold bath and lemon soda,' observed her mother practically. "'Tea and be left alone,' suggested Sarah. "'Nature designs all human ills, but in the making, suggests the cure which best is for the taking.' Her steady old eyes seemed able to penetrate mere outward signs." "'Quite right, Aunt Sarah,' said Alice decidedly. "'Leave the nostrums and quackeries alone. Prue will be all right after a nice cup of tea. 
now mother hepsy one of your best for the invalid and please i'll have some more ham that you shall you flighty harum scarum and to think of the likes o you dictating to me about nostrums and physickings replied the farm-wife with a comfortable laugh i'll soon be having mary teaching me to toss a buckwheat slapjack now see and cut from the sides of that ham where the curin's primest i do allow as the hams didn't cure just so last winter folks at my board must have of the best i never knew any one to get anything else here laughed alice then she turned her head sharply and sat listening mrs malling looked over towards the window prudence silently sipped her tea keeping her eyes lowered as much as possible she knew that in spite of their talk these kindly people were worried about her and she tried hard to relieve their anxiety some one for us said alice as the sound of horses hoofs came in through the open window some one from lakeville i expect said mrs malling making a guess that's george iredale's horse said sarah who had detected the sound of a pacer's gait prudence looked up in a startled frightened way sarah was looking directly at her she made no further comment aloud but contented herself with a quiet mental note something wrong she thought and it's to do with him poor child poor child maybe she's fretting herself because her reflections were abruptly broken off as the sound of a man's voice hailing at the front door penetrated to the parlour anyone in cried the voice and instantly alice sprang to her feet it's rob she exclaimed there was a clatter as her chair fell back behind her she nearly fell over it reached the door and the next moment those in the parlour heard the sound of joyous exclamations proceeding from the hall prudence's expression was a world of relief her mother was overjoyed this is really good bring him in bring him in miss thoughtless don't keep him there a philanderin when there's good fare in the parlour love feeds on kisses we read in ancient lay meaning the love of yore not of to-day murmured sarah with a pensive smile while she turned expectantly to greet the visitor radiant her face shining with conscious happiness alice led her fiance into the room and rob chillingwood found himself sitting before the farm-wife's generous board almost before he was aware of it while he was being served he had to face a running fire of questions from at least three of the ladies present rob was a cheerful soul and ever ready with a pleasant laugh this snatched holiday from a stress of underpaid work was like a bunk to a schoolboy it was more delightful to him by reason of the knowledge that he would have to pay up for it afterwards with extra exertions and overtime work you didn't tell us when you were coming said alice didn't know myself thought i'd ride over from iredale's place on spec and you've come from there now asked mrs malling prudence looked up eagerly yes i've just bought all his stock for a scotch client of mine scotch sarah turned away with a motion of disgust what has george sold all his beasties at last exclaimed the farm-wife why yes didn't you know he's giving up his ranch rob looked round the table in surprise there was a pause then mrs malling broke in he has spoken of it hinted but we wasn't expectin it so soon he's made his pile yes he must have done so said rob readily the price he parted with his cattle to me for was ridiculous 
I shall make a large profit out of my client. It'll all help towards furnishing, Al, he went on, turning to his fiancée. I'm so glad you are doing well now, Rob, the girl replied with a happy smile. Yes. The man turned to Mrs. Mulling. We're going to get married this fall. I hope Alice has been learning something of housekeeping, with a laugh. "'Why, yes, Alice knows a deal more than she reckons to let on, I guess,' said the farm-wife, with a fat chuckle. Prudence now spoke for the first time since Rob's arrival. She looked up suddenly, and though she tried hard to speak conversationally, there was a slightly eager ring in her voice. "'When is George Iredale going to leave the ranch?' Rob turned to her at once. "'Can't say. Not yet, I should think. He seems to have made no preparations.' "'Besides, I've got to see him again in a day or two. "'Then you will stay out here?' asked Alice eagerly. "'Well, no,' Rob shook his head with a comical expression of chagrin. "'Can't be done, I'm afraid. "'But I'll come over here when I'm in the neighbourhood, if possible.' "'Then to Mrs. Mauling, "'May I?' "'Why, certainly,' said the farm-wife with characteristic heartiness. "'If you come to this district without so much as a look in here,' "'Well, you can just pass right along for the future.' When the meal was over, the old lady rose from the table. "'Alice,' said she, "'you stay right here. Sarah and I'll clear away. Prudence, my girl, just lie down and get your rest. Maybe you'll feel better later on. Come along, Sarah. The young folks can get on comfortably without us for once.' Prudence made no attempt to do as her mother suggested. She moved about the room, helping with the work. Then the two old ladies adjourned to the kitchen. Rob and Alice moved over to the well-worn sofa at the far end of the room, and Prudence took up her position at the open window. She seemed to have no thought of leaving the lovers together. In fact, it seemed as though she had forgotten their existence altogether. She stood staring out over the little front garden with hard, unmeaning eyes. From her expression, it is doubtful if she saw what her eyes looked upon. Her thoughts were of other matters that concerned only herself and another. The low tones of the lovers sounded monotonously through the room. They, too, were now wrapped in their own concerns, and had forgotten the presence of the girl at the window. They had so much to say, and so little time in which to say it, for Rob had to make Ainsley that night. The cool August evening was drawing on. The threshing-gang was returning from the fields, and the purple haze of sundown was rising above the eastern horizon. Prudence did not move. Her hands were clasped before her. Her pale face might have been of carved stone. There was only the faintest sign of life about her, and that was the steady rise and fall of her bosom. A cool breeze rustled in through the open window and set the curtains moving. Then all became still again. Two birds squabbled viciously amongst the branches of a blue gum in the little patch of a garden, but Prudence's gaze was still directed towards the horizon. She saw nothing. She felt nothing but the pain which her own thoughts brought her. Suddenly the sound of something moving outside became audible. There was the noisy yawn of some large animal rising from its rest. Then came the slow, heavy patter of the creature's feet. Nash approached the window. His fierce-looking head stood well above the sill. His greenish eyes looked up solemnly at the still figure framed in the opening. His ears twitched attentively. There was no friendly motion of his straight, lank tail, but his appearance was undoubtedly expressive of some sort of well-meaning canine regard. 
whether the dog understood and sympathized with the girl at the window it would have taken something more than a keen observer to have said but in his strangely unyielding fashion he was certainly struggling to convey something to this girl from whom he was accustomed to receive nothing but kindness for some moments he stood thus quite still his unkempt body rose and fell under his wiry coat he was a vast beast and the wolf-grey and black of his colouring was horribly suggestive of his ancestry. Presently he lifted one great paw to the window. Balancing his weight upon his only serviceable hind-leg, he lifted himself and stood with both front feet upon the sill, and pushed his nose against the girl's dress. She awoke from her reverie at the touch, and her hands unclasped, and she slowly caressed the bristly head. The animal seemed to appreciate the attention, for, with his powerful paws, he drew himself further into the room. The girl offered no objection, she paid no heed to what he was doing. Her hand merely rested on his head, and she thought no more about him. Finding himself unrebuffed, Nesh made further efforts. Then, suddenly, he became aware of the other occupants of the room. Quick as a flash his nose was directed towards the old sofa on which they were seated, and his eyes, like two balls of phosphorescent light, gleamed in their direction. He became motionless at once. It seemed as though he were uncertain of something. He was inclined to resent the presence of these two, but the caress of the soft, warm hand checked any hostile demonstration beyond a whine, half plaintive, half of anger. The disturbing sound drew Alice's attention, and she looked over to where Prudence was standing. It was then she encountered the unblinking stare of the hound's wicked eyes. The sight thrilled her for a moment, nor could she repress a slight shudder. She nudged her companion and drew his attention without speaking. Rob followed the direction of her gaze, and a silence followed whilst he surveyed the strange apparition. He could only see the dog's head. The rest of the creature was hidden behind the window-curtain and its enormous size suggested the great body and powerful limbs which remained concealed. To Rob there was a suggestion of hell about the cruel luster of the relentless eyes. At last he broke into a little nervous laugh. "'By Jove,' he said, "'I thought for a moment I'd got him. Gee whiz! The brute looks like the devil himself. What is it? Whose?' Without replying, Alice called to her friend. "'Let Nesh come in, Prue,' she said. "'That is, dubiously, if you think it's safe.' Then she turned to Rob. "'He's so savage that I'm afraid of him. Still, with Prue here, I think he'll be all right. He's devoted to her.' At the sound of the girl's voice, Prudence turned back from the window like one awakening from a dream. Her eyes still had a faraway look in them, and though she had heard the voice, it seemed doubtful as to whether she had taken the meaning of the words. For a moment her eyes rested on Alice's face, then they drooped to the dog at her side, but Alice was forced to repeat her question before the other moved. Then, in silence, she stepped back and summoned the dog to her with an encouraging chirrup. Nesh needed no second bidding. There was a scramble and a scraping of sharp claws upon the woodwork. Then the animal stood in the room, and his attitude, as he eyed the two seated upon the sofa, said as plainly as possible, "'Well, which one of you is to be first? Rob felt uneasy. Alice was decidedly alarmed at the dog's truculent appearance. But the tension was relieved a moment later by the brute's own strange behaviour. Suddenly, without the slightest warning, Nesh plumped down upon his hindquarters. 
his pricked ears drooped and his two forepaws began to beat a sort of tattoo upon the floor then followed a broken whine tremulous and blandishing and the great head moved from side to side with that curious movement which only dogs use to express their gladness then the strange three-legged beast went further down he threw himself full length upon the floor and grovelled effusively whining and scraping the boards in a perfect fervour of abject delight rob looked hard at the dog then he laughed and turned to alice what is the creature's name i didn't catch it nesh she replied rob held out his hand encouragingly and called the dog by name the animal continued to squirm but did not offer to come nearer every now and then its head was turned back and the green eyes looked up into prudence's face at last rob ceased his efforts his blandishments were ineffectual beyond increasing the dog's effusive display a husky he said looking across at prudence a bad dog to have about the house he reminds me of the animals we had up north in our dog train they're devils to handle and as fierce as wild cats we had one just like him unusually big brute he was our wheeler the most vicious dog of the lot the resemblance is striking by jove he went on reminiscently he was a sulky cantankerous cuss his name was sitting bull after the renowned sioux indian chief we had to be very careful of the other dogs on account of his scrapping propensities he killed one poor beast i think we nicknamed him rather appropriately he was affectionately dubbed bully as rob pronounced the name he held out his hand again and flicked his fingers the dog rose from his grovelling posture and came eagerly forward wagging his lank tail he rubbed his nose against the man's hand and slowly licked the suntanned skin rob's brow drew together in a pucker of deep perplexity he looked the animal over long and earnestly and slowly there crept into his eyes an expression of wondering astonishment he was interrupted in his inspection by the girl at his side why he's treating you like an old friend rob the man sat gazing down upon the wiry coat of the beast yes he said shortly then he looked over at prudence yours he went on the girl shook her head no he belongs to hervey hm i wonder where he got him from in a meditative tone somewhere out in the wilds of the yukon put in alice ah the yukon and rob's face was serious as he turned towards the window and looked out at the creeping shadows of evening there was a pause prudence was thinking of anything but the subject of rob's inquiries alice was curious but she forbore to question she had heard her lover's account of his misadventures in the alaskan hills but she saw no connection between the hound and that disastrous affair but the man's thoughts were hard at work presently he rose to depart he bade prudence good-bye and moved towards the door the dog remained where he had been standing and looked after him at the door rob hesitated then he turned and looked back poor old bully he said with a bound the dog was at his side then the man turned away and accompanied by alice left the room in the passage he paused and alice saw an expression on his face she had never seen before he was nervous and excited and his eyes shone in the half-light al he said slowly i know that dog and his name is bully don't say anything to anybody hervey may be able to tell me something of those who robbed us up in the hills 
but on no account must you say anything to him. Leave it to me. I shall come here again, soon. Good-bye, little woman. That evening, as Rob Chillingwood rode back to Ainsley, he thought of many things, but chiefly he reviewed the details of that last disastrous journey, when he and Gray had traversed the snowfields of Alaska together. End of chapter 16